Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of What's Next, where I have the honor and pleasure to welcome Alyssa Cohn to the show. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, she is the author of a book that came out in October of last year called From Startup to Grown Up. And for all of you founders out there, for all of you who work at a startup, who are managers or leaders in a startup, this conversation is going to be for you. So please post some questions, like let's get the conversation going. She's here for you, really. And I'm just the facilitator of the questions. But she is considered one of, if not the best, a startup coach globally. She's part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. Uh, she's been featured in Inc. Magazine, Harvard Business Review, a slew of others. And so when uh, her book came out, I was like, please, please, please join my show. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I will. So let's jump right in, Alyssa. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. All right. Listen, I normally do something called bullish and bearish, but I'm going to flip it a little bit today because I hear that you created a rap called The Work Is In You. And, you know, if I were really cruel, I would ask you to do it. But, you know, maybe there's a video somewhere where you could point people to the rap of The Work Is In You. But give me a little background on how you decided you wanted to rap the work is in you. The work is in you. Thank you for asking that great question. So it is on my YouTube channel. If you Google the work is in you, Alyssa Cohn, you will see this <laughs> rap music video that I did create during the pandemic. It was a passion project in the pandemic. By the way, if you do watch it and feel free to, a lot of people have watched it and they've said, you're so brave. <laughs> Nobody has said, you're so talented. So I'm just letting you know, okay? Okay, but, like, I've done a lot of things, but that's not one I think I would even attempt for yeah. so many yeah. reasons. First, yeah. I'm tone deaf. Second <laughs> of all, I'm not a good rhyme. Third of all, I don't think it would be, I think it would be funny, but really bad. <laughs> well, you know, it's my first rap, we'll see. But I, but I will say this, in all seriousness, there's a thing, few things that came together. One is that I was working on my book from startup to grown up. And um, even though it didn't quite become the title, a theme was clearly the work is in you. That is really a, a tenet of executive coaching. It's certainly a tenet of, either work, of the work that I do, because it's not about them or they or the outside world. We'll get to that. But it starts with you. The work is in you. And I wrapped it because I was very inspired by Hamilton the Musical. I know a lot of us were, but for me, it was different. I had like this infatuation. So I sort of followed the Hamilton people. I actually took a class on hip hop, improv, beatbox, rap. I performed on March 10th, 2020, March 10th, 2020, um, with my squad, improv rap, can you imagine? And uh, it was terrifying, but I did it. And then the world shut down. Not two separate things, I think. And um, you get over your self-consciousness. That that's why I put myself in a position where I could be scared. I was terrified um, where I could learn something new and not think I was going to be the best at it. I wasn't, but it inspired me then to maybe push myself artistically. And, and that's why I created this rap. Well, a couple of things I've heard pretty consistently. So if you're listening, like, and you are, have a fear of speaking in front of people or self-consciousness that these improv classes are a fantastic way to kind of get out of your own way and have a little fun with other people who are just trying to get better as well. And I think 
that's a great segue from startup to grown up because you know when I first heard the title, I'm like, ah, do we really want to be grown ups? That's the first first thing I asked. <laughs> and I think just the curiosity and the willingness to have fun with yourself and and put yourself out there like that um, is probably a good foundational way for us to 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 lean into that topic. So. So why do you think it's going from startup to grown up? I mean, I think where where did that sort of come from? I know you coach a lot of companies, so I'm guessing it was from that. Yeah, for sure. And the idea is that when you're a startup, you know, you start up founders, but even new leaders, they have a lot of conceptions and misconceptions about what it is to build a company. So not only that, but they have a lot of ability to kind of just, you know, go forward and just do it ad lib, actually do their own improv. And that's great until it's not. And so what is always true is that you're growing as a leader and certainly as you're growing as a startup founder and as you're growing as a company, you need to create structures and systems which are more grown up, if you will. And so that it's a personal growth journey from you to get from here to there. Well, and you also say that there's sort of some, your terms, sexiness in the strategy side, right? I don't think I've ever heard someone describe strategy as sexy, but let's go with it, right? And yeah. so if you're thinking about you know, sort of setting that strategy, you work for a startup or it might even be two or three years young yeah. Uh, and you're sort of just trying to cross your first million or get to 5 million. It's, it's all kind of a growth pain. And I think strategy is one area where many founders and leaders rush through that process and don't understand the connection between the actual strategy and the execution. And so talk me through strategy being sexy. Yeah, I love that question. And I really, I would even zoom out a little bit more. You know what's sexy? Success is sexy. That's where I come from. So what does that mean to be successful? It means you got to create structure. And that means structure is sexy. You've got to create strategy. So therefore, strategy is sexy. It is powerful to step back and intentionally look at the situation and think, wait, where are we going? Where are we? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? And that is really a combination of structure and strategy together. And it's critical to do that. Otherwise, you're going to land your first million, as you said, and then just kind of fall off the cliff. And why do you think that they leaders, startup or not? I mean, I think startup, yes, for sure, because sometimes it's I don't know what I don't know. And right. so I, I had this really great idea uh, and I've sort of reached the Peter principle. I've sort of risen to my level of incompetency. I don't know how to do something. Right. And why do you think it is that while it can be some of the most impactful and fun and sexy part of the business, that many misunderstand it and shy away from it a little bit? You know, uh, one reason is it's hard. It really requires you being uncomfortable and not knowing and feeling the sort of uncomfortable experience of like, where are we going? What are we doing? There's so many questions, there's so much indecision. So it's uncomfortable and difficult to do. The second is people don't leave themselves enough time. It is astonishing to me that people don't leave themselves time to do the sort of more strategic work in general. And that can be both kind of really crafting and thinking through the company vision or the company strategy. It could also be as simple as not planning for the lowly meeting. And we meet all the time, every single day, everybody meets, that's I meet, therefore I am. And yet it's astonishing to me how little time people put into the preparation for that. And then what you have is kind of a mediocre meeting and everyone makes fun of meetings. Yet that was an expensive room that you just kind of, you know, let, let kind of flap around. Well, I, oh, I've done this quite a bit now at this point, a couple years into this podcast. And one thing I have heard from many is 
making sure as leaders, you create the time and the space every day. And if not every day, for sure, every week. And so if it's in the mornings, like eight to 9 a.m., no meetings, and that's your sort of thinking time. What am I going to do? What things do I have to accomplish? What should I be spending my time sort of thinking about? Because you know, now that I'm not a people leader anymore, when I was one, I found myself from kind of like seven to seven in meetings. And then I had no time to actually do the work that came out of the meetings. Now, looking it's back, so I bet you half those meetings weren't even worthwhile anyway or necessary. So that's, that's a, probably part of it. Uh, but why do you think people are afraid of blocking that time on their calendars? Well, I, so first of all, there's too much to do. So if you're working 15 hours a day, what you just sort of said is like 12 or 13 hours a day. There's too much to do. You could actually work a couple hours more and there's still too much to do. So one, honestly, is that people are overstressed, overtaxed. And so carving at that hour feels very difficult and uncomfortable. The second thing is that it's just really difficult to approach this, the blank page. If you have no structure about how to approach these more strategic areas, it is easy to do the thing you know how to do, and that is email, right? Respond to your email, send more email, and, and sort of do a little bit of that busy work to make yourself feel like you're making progress. So what piece of advice I would say to everybody is, first of all, recognize that you're not going to get it all done. You're working 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours, 15 hours. You're never going to get it all done. So if you're actually working 12 hours, consider working 11 or 10 and carving out that hour to the strategic work that you need to do. And how do you approach that? Actually take one of those hours and think, how would I approach that? Write down the topics that you know need your attention. Think about who might be inputs to that. You can have your alone time with somebody else to talk through a certain topic and really chart how well you're making progress against your top key priorities. Well, and I think that falls into a category. These are your terms, right? The kind of managing you, right? Thinking about time, meetings, connections, conversations, brainstorming, all that sort of manage you. And, yeah. you know, if, if, and I've had Ariane Huffington on the show, she'd say never do 12 hours. Right. So, I mean, already that's not good. Right. So there's a lot to be said about the managing you part, especially in a startup, because it seems to be this pace that uh, you have, you feel like you have to be at that pace and you're not showing up to manage them, which is going to be sort of this next question. Because if you're not showing up as your best self, how are you going to manage them, meaning sort of your employees, but your greater shareholders, you know, your partners, customers, investors, whoever it might be. So what advice do you give around managing them? Yeah. So managing them to your point is it starts with you. You kind of have to get your own self together and figure out how you're leading yourself. And then you have to look at your team broadly speaking. So who are they? What is your mission and their goals? Um, who are they individually? What are their strengths? What are the development opportunities? And kind of get that in your head. And then you have to deal with each of those individuals. What I talk about in my book from Startup to Grown Up is a number of management tools, including making sure you give positive feedback, pro show progress. Progress and praise are actually surprisingly to everybody, some of those motivating tools that you can use to help your employees be excited, be engaged, be energized, not be burned out. And then at the end of the day, give you discretionary effort. Nobody talks about positive feedback. Nobody talks about praise, but I promise you it is a free tool and it is effective. So that's and, one thing. And super impactful. to that, right? No, it's super impactful. Yeah. 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 Super impactful. The other thing you need to think about, I mean, there's a number of management tools to talk about in the book, but one is coaching and feedback and making sure that you're helping your people be successful by telling them the good news and the bad news, and then showing them how they can make changes. And then also 
delegation. Delegation is this mystery to everybody. Everyone's like, oh, I tried to delegate last year. It didn't work out. You've really got to think about the individual employee and their will and their skill to use that framework, uh, the situational awareness, uh, situational leadership framework. And when they have high will and high skill, you could just give them the task and you love to do that. But when they have maybe not so high will or not so high skill, you've got to be more mindful and thoughtful and strategic to think about how can I effectively delegate this? So it will save you time, but it costs you time in the beginning to really think through how you're going to use that tool. Well, two things I'll say on that. One, you went pretty quick past coaching and I'm just going to give this one stat, which I found frightening on a whole lot of levels. So it, it happens to be in the sales sort of community, right? For sellers. And they say, look, the majority of coaching that managers give is around mostly administrative, tactical kinds of tasks versus mm. high value tasks. Mm. If you take that one step further, 47% of sellers would not spend, would not spend $1 for an hour of their manager's time for coaching. Wow. Wow. Right. And so yeah. if you're a leader and you want to spend time with people and they don't value it, it's because you're not giving them the right kind of coaching. The, the second thing I'd say on that delegation is, oh, well, nobody can do it better than me. Well, then that's a problem, right? Because what happens when you're not in the office? The business should continue to run as efficiently and as effectively as it does now. So I think those manage them has a lot of implications into the way you show up about kind of managing you. All right. Would you agree? I guess. Yeah, 100%, okay. 100%. All right. Then the third one is managing the business. So going back to, I, I have a great idea. I want to start a startup or I've gotten to my first million. I don't know how to get to five. Um, managing the business gets a little more difficult. And so what things can you advise there? So that's where structure really comes into place, right? So like, it's so great. Like to your point, oh, we have our first million. Yay. Everyone's celebrating. And yet you can't lose track of the fact that you need to have systems and goals and tools to kind of get you past that, right? You could use a lot of elbow grease to get you to your first kind of proof of concept. But the way to get past that is what you need is a sales team with a structure and a, a sort of a, a philosophy and how to go to market and playbooks. And what you need is a dashboard to see which of our projects are on track and which are off track. And you need people who are kind of training the, training your managers. So you have a set of managers who are then in, in sort of working with their employees. You need to have good meeting hygiene and meeting structure. All of that is infrastructure and structure in terms of running the business. The point is this, you're not just sort of building a company and managing your people and hoping it'll all work out. You kind of have to have a game plan for, for how it's gonna work out. And then you've got to drive towards that, ga that game plan and that roadmap with discipline. So how do you advise, based on what you just said, right? How do you advise leaders to become better at feedback? <laughs> both giving yeah. and getting, both giving and yeah. getting. Because yeah. you know, a lot of startup finders, founders don't have leadership experience like that, right? If you're a startup yeah. founder, it's your first business. You've never done it before. You know, yeah. it's just, that's the truth. Doesn't yeah. mean when you hire people that you're not hiring people who have led before. They might not have led right. their own business, but they've led teams. And so right. how do you create an environment where there's, you know, psychological safety, you know, a la Amy Edmondson around that sort of, I'm going to give feedback, I'm going to get feedback, and then allowing the space to make that and allow that to happen? Yeah, it's a great question, Tiffany. And then just to amplify your point, you know, uh, in a startup, if you're the founder, your entry level position is leader. 
And so think about that, right? Without a lot of leadership experience. So first thing I would say is that you have to intend, you have to kind of know in your mind's eye, feedback is helpful and useful. Also, I know that I haven't led large organizations. So one way or the other, I'm probably gonna do it wrong. So therefore I will need feedback. So starting with that ethos is very helpful. Letting people know, please share with me what you see that I need to know. I, you know, I promise you and then act as well as your word that you, you will not get punished for it. In fact, you get praised for it. And then showcase to other people that you uh, support that kind of behavior by praising people publicly. The other thing is that for you, no matter what happens, when someone gives you a difficult, some difficult feedback, especially if they don't do it so nicely with so much kid gloves, then what happens is that you would normally get defensive. So that's just normal. So recognize that your defensiveness may come up and rather than get furious, you can get curious. Like, huh, I wonder what made them think that or why are they saying that? Don't explain, don't defend, just ask questions to get there. And then that showcases that it's safe to give feedback. The way to think about giving other people feedback is to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. How would they wanna hear this, right? So you need to be diplomatic and also direct so that they can hear what you're saying. At the end of the day, if you're on their side, as in like, I want the best for you, I want you to be the best professional you can be, that will help you deliver the message in an appropriate way. Well, it's fantastic to hear, you know, both sides, because putting yourself in someone's shoes, sometimes people go, I don't even really know what that means. Well, if someone says to me, boy, that was terrible work. Right. Or boy, are you dumb? I'd be like, oh, you know, but (laughs) okay, this is what I liked about it. This is where I think we could improve, kind of give that balance. But I also think within that is how do you know who to hire based on what we just talked about? Because back when I was advising clients in my prior life, sometimes I get a call up, I need to hire my first salesperson, or I need to hire my first marketer, or I need to hire my first IT person or operations, whatever it might be. And that I think paralyzes some organizations when they're small. They don't want to make number one, is that the right time? It's expensive. They don't want to make the wrong hire or they have to fit and think just like us, which has all kinds of implications. But when you sort of say you're ready to start to grow your business and hire talent, especially based on what we've been through over the last two years, what what would you give you know, advice to those leaders, especially because the book was written during the pandemic and now it's been a year and a half, I guess, two years since you wrote the book. So what would you change potentially in that statement? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. First of all, hiring is essential. I do have a whole section, a whole chapter on hiring and firing and onboarding. So just say I've given it some thought. One thing that you want to think about when you hire someone is what specifically do you want them to do? And the way to get at that is to really write down or to put notes in Asana or some other tool, what you would be delegating to this person. If you kind of keep thinking, I'll delegate this, I'll delegate that, this person, and then you kind of can get the form and, and, and shape of a job description. That's a very helpful and practical way to do it. But to answer your larger question, you know, yeah, I think we've all learned a lot as the pandemic has played out. And we all sort of think work is no longer going to be the same. There's going to be more tolerance for hybrid work. There's going to be more tools for hybrid work. There's going to be more remote first companies or remote work. So you need to tune yourself to slowing down, taking more time to make sure everybody is included. Everybody's communicated to, because like if they're on video, you might forget about them. Let's be honest. And if they're not in the meeting, you might forget about them. 
So kind of really being more intentional about how to communicate to all the folks around you. And also sometimes just slowing down on video or even on the phone, people will miss things that you say. So slowing down, doing recaps, that's very helpful. You know, I've done three LinkedIn learning courses on the notion of remote work, remote performance appraisals, remote coaching, and remote feedback. And all of the research on working remotely just includes a notion to slow down and be more mindful of their nonverbal cues. And as a, as a founder, as a leader of a company that's trying to grow, startup or not, do you think that this sort of hybrid environment is sustainable, in, especially around things like collaboration, like creating that culture and uh, inspiring that culture and rewarding that culture and all the things that happen in face-to-face? -face. I mean, yeah. you know, the, over the last two years, I can say, say I really struggled on the lack of human interaction because that's where I actually did my best thinking and understanding and learning and curiosity and asking questions versus a phone call or even a Zoom when it's the ninth Zoom of the day, you're just, you're just kind of checked out. Uh, how do you see this flexible working actually happening uh, going forward? Yeah, I have two answers to that. One is a today answer and one is a future answer. The today answer is that at least the pandemic constraints seem to be lifting and we'll be able to spend more time in person. So if you're a remote first company or you're remote if you choose, you know, work from anywhere or hybrid situation, getting everybody together once or twice a year, all the research shows that's the most effective way to work together regularly because you create the in-person bonds, you create the, you know, sort of that dynamic that then helps you pick up the phone and call that person because you know that person or in the video chat, have some jokes and whatnot, learn to collaborate, be patient with people, you know, if they're not quite at your speed. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, this may be more controversial. I think the metaverse is coming for us. I think the metaverse is going to shape the world of work. I can't tell you how, but if you've seen some of those different, you know, experiences that people are having in the metaverse in sort of 3D they're, they're not there yet, but I think they're going to create an experience which may even be richer than in person. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. You know, well, what I do like you think people. about that? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know. So, I hear you. I, I like people, um, but I, I think that I, I have worked remote now for 15 years, sort of. Yeah. So I haven't gone into an office or desk that was like mine in a long time, but in my prior lives, I could go in two days a week or three days a week. And early on that was frowned upon. Nope, you have to be here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm sitting at my desk having phone calls with people who are not in this office, exactly. you know, we have multiple right. offices around the world. So right. if I'm sitting here and taking those calls with people, or I'm sitting at home and taking those calls with people, we're not in the same room. If right. it's face-to-face -face meetings, I get it. But That's if different. it's going to be remote meetings anyway, because you're talking to people who are all over the place, then I feel like, I don't know if there's a whole lot of value, but I will also say that I've had to work much harder to collaborate. I've had to work much harder to connect. Um, I've had to work much harder to sort of stay on top of things because that happenstance ac accidental water cooler conversation, you know, at an airport, in a lounge, in a hotel lobby, backstage at an event isn't happening. And so I, I really found that I had gotten really flat and stale because I wasn't having those kinds of conversations. And so I had to work hard to figure out how to do that. And 
I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I think figuring out what works for you, what works for your teams. Uh, but I would agree with you that I think flex is going to be here for the the long term. And for those of us who have been working from home, you know, we're sort of like, okay, great. It's going to be the same. But now I feel more challenged to when I go into the office, people aren't going to be there. So yeah. I miss that. Yeah. I can totally with everything you just said. And, and I would just echo what you said, which is everyone's going to have to figure out what's going to work best for themselves and their teams. And it, there's no substitute for stepping back and really back to strategy, thinking about what, how are we going to do this? Because we all have constraints in the world. Right now, our constraint is we are still remote or hybrid or whatever. We probably are not going to come back to normal, quote unquote. And so you have to accept that as reality and then figure out how it's going to work for you and your team. Well, there's a great comment actually coming in from LinkedIn about uh, customers being more comfortable doing things over Zoom. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's two messages there. One is as a leader, you have to listen to your employees. Do they want to work flex? You know, if you force them to come back, we see what's happening right now around that. But you also have to think about the customer side of it, too. You know, if you're in business and you're visiting customers, what if they don't want you to visit them face to face? Right. What if they want you to do it in Zoom? And so I think you have to create a framework or structure where your people know how and when to do face to face versus virtual for team meetings, for customer meetings, for whatever it might be. Um, Yeah, very well said. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, as we kind of get towards the tail end of this, I would, I would love to hear, um, I know you've worked with companies like Dell and Google and Pfizer and New York Times and lots of companies, um, especially uh, because those are all very large. I'm guessing it's kind of startups within larger organizations. Um, but I'd love to hear the commonality between that startup in a large organization, kind of the entrepreneur and yeah. the entrepreneur and what they face that's similar and maybe what they face that might be significantly different. Yeah, that's great. So I work with large companies still. So even like, you know, executive teams of, for example, Google, JP Morgan, Pfizer. So I, I work with those large companies as well as startups. And the way I would say, I would talk about that is with large companies, they all want to build an entrepreneurial mindset and sort of help their people be more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial and more, let's say, accountable and more proactive. Now, startups, what they need is more systems, more scale. So very often, I feel like I'm sort of almost like a a pollinator, that I go back and forth and I think about how can this startup benefit from the large company structure and how can this large company benefit from the startup mindset? And, and And I have to say, you know, I meet with a lot of companies as well, and it's the large ones can't get out of their own way because it's not the way we do it here. We tried it and it failed. Um, that's not our culture, you know, whatever the reason is, which I think is more self-inflicted internal inertia than external. Then we had something external that rocked the world. So now you have internal inertia and external challenges. Yeah. So I feel like the big guys, girls, companies um, have a harder time where entrepreneurs have the ability to be really flexible, even more competitive against the large ones because of the fact that they don't have those kinds of uh, hindrances. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think that's exactly right. Well, Alyssa, from Startup to Grown Up, great new book. If you haven't read it, go pick it up. That's the first thing. The second, if you could write a new chapter today, knowing everything we know since the last time you put a period on that book, which was in sort of the end of 2020, yeah, what chapter would you add today? 
I would add the chapter, I would explore more deeply the concept of remote work. And I would definitely extend the conversation on the topic of remote work. Also, I interviewed a number of founders in this book, and I would talk with them about their experiences of remote work and how that can now fit into what is our obviously our new reality. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much for spending time with myself and our listeners for the What's Next podcast. How can people keep in touch with you, follow your work? And I know you have a bunch of workbooks and learning and classes. So how can people yeah. keep in touch with you? Well, thank you so much. You can come to our website, alissacohn.com, A-L-I-S-A-C-O-H-N.com. On that, I have five scripts for delicate conversations and one to make your life better. So you can sign up for my newsletter and download those scripts. Also listen to my podcast, From Startup to Grown Up, From Startup to Grown Up. Also available wherever podcasts are found. And definitely feel free to check me out on LinkedIn where I have a number of four, four different courses and just come and say hi. Excellent. Well, Alyssa, I am appreciative of you spending time with me here today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody for joining us. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much.